And so I'd like to, to begin with a word of prayer. So if we could uh, pray together. God, I thank you for this family. And I thank you that we can say that because of the blood of Jesus. Not because we have common interests and we like the same things, but we are family because of you. You've knit us together. You're growing us together. You're growing us in number as well, and we are thankful for that. So God, we want to spend this time thinking about you, thinking about what you have done in our community as a household of faith, and what you will do in the future. God, help us to imagine and to stretch our imaginations Because that's what you do. You do things that are beyond our imaginations. And so we ask that you would shape us by your spirit, that you would lead us to truth and away from error, that you would lead us to humility and away from pride, that you would lead us towards family. So we ask that you would bless this time and that you would be present with us by your spirit. We pray these things in the name of Christ, our Lord and our King. Amen. So if the aim of these First Wednesdays is to get together as a family and to uh, hear about different topics and to ask questions about those things, uh, this, this month, our topic is, why plant churches? One Sunday earlier this year, Joel Brooks came up and uh, shared with us that the elders had been discussing and had been praying about the possibility of bringing on a planting pastor that we would send out from Redeemer to establish a new congregation. That was about in January, February. And in May, Joel Brooks introduced Joel and Mandy Busby and announced that our church would be sending the Busbys to start a new congregation in West Homewood uh, in kind of early 2017. And the leadership of Redeemer has been talking about planting since we were a little church plant meeting in a house. One of the first conversations that I had with Joel Brooks uh, about coming on staff at Redeemer in 2008, he was talking about uh, where he saw the Lord leading us as, as this new church. And one of the things that he was passionate about then was that we would be a planting church. And that passion is shared by all of our elders that we would be a planting church. And so through much prayer and study and discussion about church planting, I mean, that that has filled up countless hours within our leadership over the years. And here we are, very excited that the Lord has created a step for us for the first time to plant out of our congregation. And so tonight is really a chance for us to talk about that, to talk about uh, what it means uh, to plant a church, uh, why we feel so passionate about the work of church planting, and for each one of us to know how we can be involved. So that's, that's where the discussion is tonight. The way that it will unfold, we will first hear from Joel Brooks, and he will kind of talk about what it means to be called to be a planter and what it means to be a planting church. Then we're going to hear from Joel Busby, who's going to talk about a vision for church planting, a vision for Redeemer to be a church planting church. And then uh, I'll lead a time of Q&A with the Joels after that. Um, And uh, and then we're going to take some time as a church family to pray. So first up, Joel Brooks.
It's just awkward all the way around. It's a little dark. There we go. Need a little more light up here in my old age. All right, so I'm going to talk about planting. Why do we plant churches? I wasn't going to sit down, but it's going to be impossible for me to sit down and talk about planting uh, because I'm excited about church planting, and uh, it would only take about two minutes in a chair before I got up and started yelling at everybody. So I'll need to calm down. So why plant churches is what Jeff had asked me to talk on, and I thought I could probably just as easily ask all of you here, why did you become a member of Redeemer? You know, what, what led you to this church here? Why did you decide to make this a home for you? And if you were to list all of the reasons why you were drawn here, felt the Lord calling you here, I would say, okay, that's why you plant a church, because Redeemer was a church plant. We were a church plant eight years ago, and now we're a congregation full of people who are being discipled um, and following the Lord. And we hope to plant another congregation that's very similar to this, and another, and another. Uh, we, we church plant for the reasons that you are drawn here. Um, it's a great way, I'd say the best way to make disciples. Now, Jeff, don't get mad. I was supposed to talk about the reason Lauren and I planted Redeemer, but if you're a member of the church, you already know that. I mean, you've probably been to our house. You've, you've heard us talk through the reasons why, um, why we planted, how the Lord was leading us to, to start Redeemer. So I don't want to rehash all of that. What I want to do is just talk through some particular points as to why I personally believe in church planting. Why is it something that I'm so passionate about and I think we should be passionate about? Um, like Jeff said, it's always been on our radar from the very beginning of our church. Some of our first elder meetings were about, okay, we want to be a church that plants church churches. Um, a lot of our budget goes already towards church planting. I think, you know, we were part of the Sojourn Network, um, which is a church planting network. I think we give sixty to $70,000 a year um, to that network, network that goes towards church planting. Many of the missionaries who we support, we support their church planting endeavors. Uh, bringing uh, Busby on staff and then funding this new congregation is going to be another way that we invest in this. So we've always been thinking, praying, and, and putting our resources towards church planting um, from the beginning. And this is something that we hope actually increases in the years ahead. So let me give you just some reasons why, and I've only got um, 10 or so minutes up here, so I've got to just do some bullet points as to why I believe in church planting. And the first is this. I think it's biblical. I think that's the biblical model you see for making discipleships. So when Paul would go into city after city and he would make converts, he didn't just leave them as converts. You see him staying in these cities training elders, creating a, a church, um, a, a care group, a, a shepherding group here, and then he would move to another city. Um, so that was his model. He wasn't just an evangelist and just leading people to the Lord and then going to the next city. He was a planter. Because what you're doing when you actually leave a church there is you're leaving an engine, a discipleship engine, that can keep making more and more disciples. If you just leave some scattered converts, you might not see that. 
But a church is just going to keep bringing in people to the Lord. And so you see that all throughout the book of Acts, that church planting is the method of making disciples. Uh, Second, I would think that, or I believe that church planting is the best way to reach the unreached. It's the best way to reach those who are not involved in a church. So when, when I started Redeemer, I did not have the luxury of just, I didn't even have a pulpit, you know, of, at our house, you know, the lectern that's there. I, I didn't have the luxury of just going up to that and knowing there would be a group of people. You know, we didn't have the luxury of like a Brook Hills or a Briarwood or a Shades Mountain in which if the pastor just shows up, there's people there. There aren't people there unless you go and get them. So when you are a church plant, it fuels you to have to go and to bring people in or you can't exist. And so uh, Lauren and I, we would spend our time going to coffee shops Um, I would start soccer leagues just to meet other parents. She would go to playgrounds to meet other moms. And we're constantly trying to find people who didn't know the Lord, who weren't involved in a church, to build a relationship with them and then invite them to our house, which is where this church was starting. But if I just inherited a congregation or just could walk up and know there would always be a crowd— there wouldn't be that same impulse, that same necessity to have to do that. Um, Many of you here are here because somebody early on in that original nucleus of Redeemer, one of those uh, original maybe 15 or 20 people that were there, pursued you relentlessly. They didn't give up on you. They kept inviting you and they kept inviting you and kept inviting you. They would have you over to their homes. They would be pulling you in. Many of you here were not part of a church. Some of you, I know, did not know the Lord. And it took that initial group of people to get out there and just start pulling people in. Uh, You cannot be lazy and be part of a church plant because you just have to always be out pulling people in. And I would say just even as a pastor, um, you don't like to talk about this, but there's a financial motive to actually having a church that's self-sustainable. Like, if, if people didn't come to this thing that I was starting called Redeemer Community Church, I don't have an income. <laughs> like, I, I can't feed my family. And that's just a practical reason, but it's actually a real reason to where you have to reach out. A pastor has to start bringing people in, even for their own financial uh, sustainability as a, as a home and a family. Um, I know that sounds very unspiritual, and I, but I could walk through. Actually, I think that's a very biblical idea as well, and God has set it up that way. Um, but that'll be for our next, um, next session we have. Uh, there's a couple of caveats I probably should say to church plants being the best way to reach the unchurched. And that is, there needs to be, at the start, a commitment to not steal sheep. So if you're starting a church, or when we started Redeemer, if our goal was to just pillage other churches, then you could have grown pretty quickly, but it would all been transfer growth. And there's no real net gain to the kingdom. Um, And so there needs to be, with church planting, and something that we are committed to, especially even in this this new congregation, that we're not going to steal sheep. Um, If somebody is part of a gospel-believing and preaching church, we we really want them to, to stay there. Um, but if they're unchurched, that's your target. 
Um, and so you don't want to fill up the seats first with just transfer growth. And the, and the dynamics of a church changes over the years, but especially for those first few years, you really want to be as aggressive as possible pulling in the unchurched. Um, the second caveat is this. It can't be a transplant. It needs to be a plant. Uh, there's a, there's, if a plant, a true plant, which is a small group of people going and, and starting a new work, reaches the unchurched. If there is a large group or what we would call a transplant, let's say several hundred people going and plopping in a new area, it, you lose some of your incentive to go and reach. Then you know that incentive of, well, unless I bring people in, I'm just going to show up in a, and have an empty room. Or unless I bring people in, I'm not going to be financially stable as a church. Like, you have to have that incentive of just even an empty room almost to, I've got to go out and make a church. And this small group of people that are with me, we have to go out and bring the unchurched people in. We need to find them where they are at in whatever coffee shops or whatever, you know, the teen tot um, and Forest Park or wherever they are, but meet them and bring them in. All right, so new churches are the best way to reach the unreached. They are also um, an amazing way to unleash the giftings in God's people. Um, Church planting releases giftings in a way that is simply incredible. So, well, I'll just put some faces on this. You know we have incredible elders here at Redeemer. I mean, we just have some amazing godly men. Um, who are really just rocks, pillars of this church. They're humble. They love the Lord. They serve like crazy. Um, they're just kind of the, the pillars of this church. This won't embarrass them, but these men would have gone unnoticed in an established church. They would have been unnoticed, undeveloped. But simply because of necessity, when you're starting a new work, you've got to find somebody and got to say, Lord, grow this person fast. Unleash your giftings in them fast. And so when we started Redeemer, I remember I got three guys together. I was like, guys, don't flatter yourselves. I'm not calling you elders, all right? (laughs) You're going to be provincial elders, I think. I can't remember what title I used for them. You're temporary. You're kind of a let's see how this goes, eldership. But you're going to commit to this for a year, because basically, if this church fails, I don't want to fail alone. <laughs> I want you guys with me. And you begin just praying for, okay, use these men. Grow these men. And can I just say, like, within a year, the giftings that were unleashed in these guys, the shepherding abilities that were unleashed in these guys was just astronomical. And it's because there was a need, so God raised them up to meet the need. You see that happen over and over again in a church plant. Okay, I used to lead worship some at Redeemer. I mean, I used to, sometimes I'd have to get my guitar out, I would sing, and then finally, okay, we got some other people to do that. Thankfully, Jess just took that over. Uh, but then I had to play drums for the longest time. You talk about awkward, is like when you, when you get up from the kit and then you come up here to preach. It's, it's, it's terrible, Right? Nobody's going to listen to a drummer, but I, I, I had to. There, there was nobody else. There was a need, but, but because there was a need, all some people saw that need, and they didn't want to hear me play guitar or play drums. And so they're like, I'll take care of that. 
And so all of a sudden you start seeing all these musicians coming in to take care of that need that's there. You need to develop a children's ministry. Well, all of a sudden God raises up all these giftings with people who can do children's ministry. So the need or that vacuum that's there, all of a sudden God unleashes giftings in people to rise up and to fill those roles in a way that if you go into a older established church that seems has everything met, those giftings might lie dormant. Um, so you really do need to have that need for the giftings to be unleashed. Um, I would say that uh, just need in general, which is what a church plant brings, is we need all of these things. Need drives spiritual gifting. And there's still a whole lot of needs at Redeemer that we're hoping continues to drive this, this growth in spiritual gifting. All right, let me give number four. Or number three, I don't know. Uh, whoever's taking notes, tell me later. Um, churches that plant churches, let me just talk about that. Instead of just church planting, but churches that plant churches also have the same qualities. It's one of the other reasons I'm so committed to church planting is not just for what God is going to unleash in a church plant, but what God unleashes in the church that starts planting churches. Um, so when a church starts planting churches, you also see this incredible unleashing of leadership and of giftings. So in Acts chapter 10, when the Holy Spirit said, set aside for me Paul and Barnabas, and they were released from their congregation, do you think that church was excited about that at first? They're like, we're losing Paul. <laughs> we're losing Barnabas. Like These are like the pillars of our church, and they're leaving us to plant other churches. But the moment they left, Antioch just explodes. It's like, okay, now that there's a vacuum in this church, we raise up more people. We unleash more gifts. And the more and more you start sending people out to do new works and to plant new congregations, the more and more God begins doing a new work in this place so that this place doesn't become stagnant. Let me tell you what, I am scared to death of pastoring a church that 20 years from now has just circled its wagons and just tries to play it safe and just tries to keep people from bleeding out. We're not going to be that. We're going to be a people who just, we're going to be a church that keeps sending people out, sending people up, out, keep creating a vacuum that has to be filled with new leadership, new people who are serving, new people who are teaching. And I think that will do the, that's the best way to, uh, to make disciples of everybody here in Birmingham, which is our goal. Um, churches that plant churches also demonstrate to the world that the church is more than an institution, that we would probably be better understood as a movement, not just an institution that circles its wagons, but we are part of a movement. So do you have any idea how many of my friends, unsaved friends, when I tell them what we're doing, their jaws drop? Like, but, I mean, your church is really successful, right? It's, it's kind of grown, and you've, you've got a lot of people. It's like, yes. And so you hired a church planter to come in while you left and went on sabbatical. You brought in another guy to take over the pulpit to try to build connections with people so that he would then be sent out and take some of your congregation with, them, with him, and you would also be giving money and resources towards that. I'm like, yes, absolutely. Like, that's, that doesn't fit anywhere on the radar because human institutions don't work like that. But then we start telling them, 
It's because we want to make disciples. We're about the kingdom of God, not about just building this place up. And I hope to do that again and again and again. I mean, my own mom thinks I'm crazy for what we're doing. She's like, Joel, you can't leave for that long. You know, just... <laughs> We're like, Mom, it's, this isn't about me. This isn't about me. Um, and so I think the world takes notice. I think other churches take notice when you are very unselfish and you are trying to plant and you're trying to send out your best, even when it's going to cost you. And make no mistake, planting a church... Planting multiple churches is going to cost our church a lot. And I would be lying to you if I said I didn't have some fears about that. But God's worth the risk. And we're not going to be a church that plays it safe. And so we're going to be a church that just takes that risk and just gets out there and gets out there. Church planting for the pastor is the incredible sanctifier. If we want to get real personal here. Because it reminds me that the church isn't about me and my personality, but we're about something so much bigger, and I need to consistently be letting go and sending out. Um, Otherwise, I'm just going to think of, ooh, look at what I've built. Ooh, look at all the people I've brought in. It's like, it is just not about me. It's an incredible sanctifier. Um, And is it hard to see some people go? Is it hard to see some resources go and tighten the belt and those things? Yes, it is but it's worth it. I mean, something Jeff and I were, were talking about earlier is uh, he said, you notice in Paul's letters how he's always saying, say hello to this person, say hello to this person. He's reaching out to all these old churches, these people who he's really become connected with that he had to say goodbye to. Like, he had, he had to say goodbye to these people, but it was worth it because he was establishing congregations all over the place. Is there pain involved? Yes. Sacrifice? Absolutely. Is the Lord worth it? Absolutely. And so I'm excited about what we are doing moving forward. I got to end. I went one or two minutes long. Sorry. I could talk a lot longer. So Busby, where's Busby? Come on up here. Give Busby a big hand. Big round of applause. So has anybody here ever had to speak at an event? Ever? Ever? Okay. And have you ever had the experience of speaking at an event and the guy who speaks before you did such a good job that you feel like you could just pray and dismiss? That's what we're about to do. So if you guys will, just kidding. Um, No, uh, honestly, y'all, thank you so much um, for just the privilege it's been already to be a part of this team at Redeemer, um, to be a covenant member of this church family, um, to Joel and Lauren, just for uh, really just having the vision for everything he just described, which leads to me being right here. I mean, it's just an honor for me to be involved here at Redeemer, and it's a special honor for me to be standing here on a night like tonight as Redeemer's planting pastor. Um, on so many levels, to get to work and serve among people who are dear friends of mine and to get a, to be a part of really a, what I believe is a really special vision um, for our city. So thank you. Um, the question of the night is, is why plant churches? And I really wanna answer that from my perspective really in three ways. And if you know anything about me, as, as the passion runs high, the clarity at which I'm trying to communicate begins to run low. Um, so this is gonna be a little more of a, a passionate rant than some kind of slick, prepared, like, sales pitch, okay? 
Um, so, so I really wanna just share from a heart just really three ways that I have personally um, begun to think through this why plant churches. So there's, there's three things I wanna share with you. Um, and it gets confusing because the first thing is kind of two things. And then there's a second and third thing. Okay, so here, here's what the three things are. The first thing I wanna share with you is kind of two scenes from my life, okay? The second thing I wanna share with you is a text of scripture. Okay, and the third thing I wanna share with you is really a dream and really to kind of challenge your imagination a little bit. So, so here's the first thing. The first thing is two distinct scenes from my life. I've shared one at Redeemer before, I'll share it again. So two scenes. First scene, I'm in my office in San Antonio, Texas, I'm doing youth ministry at the time. I'm listening to a podcast from a college ministry in Birmingham, Alabama, a college ministry that I was a part of called University Christian Fellowship led by Joel and Lauren Brooks. I'm listening to a podcast of the UCF sermons while I'm in ministry because I'm pouring a lot out for people and I want something to be filling, filling me up. So the UCF podcast was that for me. I hear this, uh, I see the podcast kind of thing refresh and it's, it's titled um, Joel's Resignation. So I listen to that and I start hearing about Joel leaving UCF. I, I explore and, and hear a little bit more about that. And Joel is leaving UCF to plant a church in Birmingham, to plant a church that reaches, um, that, that really is about the welfare of the city of Birmingham. That's a gospel vision for, for this city. Okay, I, I was from Birmingham. I grew up in Birmingham. So he's talking about a gospel movement in my place in Birmingham. And then you gotta think, well, why Birmingham? Isn't Birmingham one of the most church places in the world? It is actually, but here's what's really interesting. And, and I'm finding out that this is more and more true all the time. I meet so many people around Birmingham who aren't really churched. They might be affiliated with the church. Like I talked to somebody just recently around, around my neighborhood who said, yeah, we go to, and they mentioned where they went. And then they gave a quick caveat. They said, well, I mean, I think we went there once 15 years ago, but you know, that's, our, that's my church. See, there's a very unique phenomenon in Birmingham, Alabama, where people wanna be affiliated with churches, though they might not actually be church. So there's a lot of gospel need in a city like Birmingham. Um, Flannery O'Connor, the famous writer, called, called, or referred to the American South as the Christ-haunted South. She said, the South is not Christ-centered, but it's certainly Christ-haunted. Meaning there's kind of a semblance of Christianity kind of in the air, but the gospel needs here are profound. So, so I'm hearing this, this vision of, of planning a church in Birmingham. And, and at that moment, and I've shared this before, at that moment, I'm sitting there in my office in Texas. I have no idea how the coming months are gonna unfold, but a prayer just kind of came up in my heart and the prayer went like this, Lord, if I could ever be a part of that, if I could ever be a part of that, please, I would love to be a part of that. Um, and, and, and obviously, um, um, that church that, that was dreamt about, here it is. It's you. It happened. And here I am. It's me. <laughs> it happened. Um, scene one. Fast forward to scene number two. Um, this was a few weeks ago here at Redeemer. It was, I don't remember exactly how many Sundays ago this was. It all runs together. But it's when we had Taco Mama afterward. Okay. <laughs> And I'm sitting here and, and, I, and I come to my, to my work here, you know, I get here early and I start getting to serve with so many gifted people who are, use, who, are, who are using their gifts to honor the Lord in this place by doing things like directing people to, to parking spaces and setting up children's ministry and putting paper towel 
you know, things in the, in the bathrooms. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm interacting with these, these people who are serving this congregation. I go upstairs to my office and I'm getting to sit around and say good morning to literally some of my best friends in the world um, I, that I get to work with every day. You know, we come down here and we're in the gathered worship of God's people here at Redeemer with worship leaders who have so thoughtfully and prayerfully worked with the preacher to choose these songs that would sing of the glory of Jesus in such thoughtful ways. And, and, and we're singing. I mean, we're a church that really knows how to sing, right? We're singing. I mean, I mean, Joel Brooks was telling me recently he can't really sing anymore because of his voice because he just screams when he sings here at Redeemer. I mean, we're singing songs, worshiping God. We're hearing God's word preached to us. We're being refreshed in the power of the gospel. My four-year-old son, Henry, is sitting next to me and he's, he's singing these songs. He's four, he's looking around, he's seeing God's people worship. He closes his eyes and he raises his hands to worship our God. I mean, this is happening before my eyes. I look over at my wife and it's similar thing. We're being fed into truths of the gospel. Um, after really, what's been a really kind of a hard personal season for Mandy and I the last two or three years. I mean, this is happening before my eyes. I mean, we, we, we end church and um, we end our worship and we eat Taco Mama together. That was awesome, right? Um, I, I pick up my son, Henry, and he's telling me about the Bible lesson he learned and he really kind of got it. Like it was I think it was exactly right that he had learned. Um, friends are, are, are caring for each other in community. This is all happening, okay? Um, there's, even, I don't remember if it's the same Sunday, but there was a Sunday somewhat recently where we shared in Holy Communion together. I'm, I'm standing right here as I'm handing the bread and the cup to people. I'm saying the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. One of the greatest gifts of pastoral ministry is doing that when you know some of the backstories in a congregation like this. It's a great gift. This is all happening. And as all this is happening, I have two very distinct thoughts that pop in my head. And here's the first one. Let's stay here. <laughs> it's an age old instinct, right? One of the most impactful sermons I ever heard in my time at University Christian Fellowship was preached by Joel Brooks on Jesus and his disciples at the Mount of Transfiguration. And they said, let's stay here. Let's build tents and stay here. So that was the first thought. Here's my second thought. What if the Lord could do this again? What if he could do it again? What if he could do all those things that Joel just shared that church planning does? What if he would do it again in a different part of our city to unleash new sets of giftedness? What if he could do it again? Okay, so that's two scenes, which leads me to one text. Okay, Ephesians chapter three. Um, this is a passage of scripture that's really been important to me as I've begun thinking through um, some of these, these church planting ideas. Um, and, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna summarize what happens in the passage. I wanna read for you this one text of scripture from Ephesians chapter three. Um, Ephesians has become one of my favorite books of the Bible. And what's amazing in the book of Ephesians is that Paul talks about this great cosmic victory that the, that the Lord Jesus has won. He talks about how that gets applied to people personally, that people who were dead in their trespasses are now being made alive together, that this is by grace, not by any works that we can do. He goes on to say, and you know how it's true that this is happening? People from all different sorts of backgrounds and groups are gathered together into one family. Dividing walls of hostility have been broken down. And then what Paul essentially says is that there's only one thing left, 
The only thing left to do is for the announcement of this victory, the proclamation that this victory has happened to go forth. That's all that's left is for that to be announced somehow to what Paul will call in Ephesians, the rulers and the authorities, okay? That's all that's left. And listen to the way that Paul says that happens, okay? This is from Ephesians chapter three. Paul says this, of this gospel, I was made minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me. Though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And here's where it really hits. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Listen to this. So that through the church, through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Paul's saying, okay, so the only thing left to do is for this announcement of Christ's great victory to go forth. That's all that's left to do. Well, Paul, okay, so how's that announcement of Jesus' great victory, how does that happen? Paul says, look around. Literally, look around. Like right now, look around. Like eat to each other. That's how. Through the church. So you think you've just come to church. But what Paul thinks is that you are actually participating in something much greater and much grander. The glory of Jesus is being made manifest in a unique and particular way when people gather together in churches. So the question is, why plant churches for that? The only reason you plant churches is for the glory of Jesus to be made manifest in a new and fresh way. That's the only reason, which is just another way of saying the things that Joel said. That, that, that is the why you do it. You don't do it because it's cool. You don't do it because you needed a job. It's too hard for any of that. You do it because you want to see the glory of Jesus be made manifest in a unique and powerful way. So the two scenes, that's the text. Here's the third thing, a dream. I wanna, I wanna kind of challenge your imagination a bit. Just, just imagine for a minute, okay? Imagine for a minute a group of people gathered together in a different part of our city. Um, imagine a group of people gathered together in a different part of our city who are hearing the good news of Jesus being preached from scripture every week. Imagine that. Um, imagine a group, a, a congregation gathered together in another part of the city who have kids that are being ministered to by volunteers who are giving of themselves week after week after week to see the next generation trained up. Um, imagine a congregation where a couple people have decided that they actually want to go and serve the Lord in some uh, different part of the world. And imagine a congregation of people who then invest to send those people to a place to serve Jesus there. Imagine a church, a congregation where there's local partnerships that have been fought for and labored over and led um, and connected to where there's healthy local partnerships that serve the poor in that part of town that provide tutors for inner city kids, perhaps, that do all those sorts of things in the place in which God has placed them. Imagine a congregation of people that is led by a group of elders that have been newly unleashed who get together monthly in some room somewhere and begin to pray by name for everyone within their care. That happens here. Monthly, you're prayed for. 
these men who are elders, you can ask them what's going on within your sort of shepherding roles. And they will tell you names of people who are going through difficult things and you get prayed for. Imagine a congregation in another part of town doing that. Imagine a congregation in another part of town that people are being trained and equipped to grow into maturity into Christ, to be equipped and grown and discipled. Imagine all of this happening in another part of town and little home groups kind of sprinkled all around it where people are sharing their lives together, um, where they're depending upon one another to get through what can really sometimes be pretty hard. And that's called life. <laughs> day after day after day, working to support one another, to reach their neighborhoods um, for the cause of Jesus. Just imagine that. Now imagine that, but then imagine more than one of those congregations. Imagine a whole family of Redeemer churches all around our city that work together in partnership with one another, that are independent in their own way, according to their, the gifts that God has raised up in that place, that's independent and, and have some flexibility according to their geographical place and the needs of that place, who have the ability to do ministry in the ways that which God's called them in unique ways, but who are all united, interrelated, and interconnected to one another who can share resources back and forth with one another, who can train other church planters together, who can, a whole family of churches that can become a part of the renewal of our city. I mean, imagine that. I mean, imagine that. Imagine that. And imagine your role in that. Because this is something that Redeemer is doing. And I wanna be really clear about that. A lot of people have come up to me and they mean well. And they say, hey, so you're the guy planning the church, right? And just because I'm kind of persnickety, I'm like, no, not me. Redeemer's planning a church of which I'm going to be a part. But this is something that Redeemer is doing and we're all doing it together. Now, some of us were praying the Lord will call to be sent, but all of us are senders, right? All of us are, are to pray and to, and to join together in this mission for the sake of the gospel. That, that's what we're really talking about here is for the Lord to raise up a new and fresh congregation. This, this one sort of in the Western part of Homewood that I'll have a role in is really just the continuation of a very long story that goes all the way back to when a Joel Busby was listening to a podcast eight years ago. As my grandfather would say, look how far we've come to get back where we started from. This is a continuation of a very long story of God sending this congregation out together on mission. And this church plant will be a piece of another story of God sending out people from our congregation to make an impact for our city. So why plant churches? Because, <laughs> because we have some question and answers, Tom. So we're gonna have together. Um, so if you guys have, well, I, think, I think Jeff's got a couple questions for us and, and we'll go from there. All right, so um, I'm going to ask a couple. I've got more than a couple. That's if you don't do your, your part. Uh, but uh, I've got a couple of questions that we'll lead off with. And then uh, whatever, whatever you guys have, we'll, uh, we'll do that. And then we'll take some time to pray. So we good? You set? There's coffee back there. There's water back there if you need anything, okay? Bathrooms are downstairs. There's only two. So form a queue. Um, all right, so first up, a question to the Joels. Uh, how did the elders decide on West Homewood for the first plant? Brooks, you want to take that one? Sure. Uh, 
Some of it was we, we were seeing where a lot of our newer growth was coming from. And also we had already had in our mind, Busby was on our radar. And that's exactly where Busby lives. And so it was kind of a combination of those couple of things. And it's not that we're asking like, you know, if, hey, if you live in West Homewood, you're going to that church. In some ways, we're just seeing like, okay, there's, there's a lot of this new growth coming here. If a lot of this new growth can start being a part of this new congregation as well, um, that will help us grow in a healthy way and I think grow this church in a healthy way as well. So it was a combination of a couple of factors there. Just That's where we were seeing a lot of the, the new growth coming in. And it's similar to Avondale. It's, it's the, the area that we've targeted is, is a very similar area. We wanted to make sure that there was the capability where right where the church is planted, there could be significant mercy ministry. And I think that's just going to be a, a key location there. Yeah, and, and just the idea that, this, that that location is kind of at the crossroads, a lot of interesting different places. There's a lot of international students that live along Green Springs. There's a lot of, there's a heavy Hispanic community that lives along Valley Avenue. So we felt like we could be in a place that would give us the chance to minister to a, just kind of a wide cross-section of people. That's the thing I'd add to that. All right, so uh, Busby, there, there are a lot of churches in Birmingham that do multiple locations and all of that. Uh, how is this similar or dissimilar to some of those things? And you know, is this like just church franchising that, that we're doing here, or how is it different from that? So um, we're going to pipe in Joel Brooks, not on video, but on hologram. Like Tupac. Um, no, so, so kind of what Jeff's getting at there is you might have heard, you, might, you may have heard of churches in Birmingham that pursue what's called a multi-site model, which means um, the church kind of forever is intended to be connected sort of in a whole way, like, like financially, um, it's, it's, it's just another location of a greater church body. And, and so what we're really trying to do is somewhat of a hybrid model in the sense that it's not like Redeemer is just giving money saying, go, you know, go, good luck. Um, but instead, what we're trying to do is we're trying to see Redeemer plant an independent congregation, a congregation that will one day be independent, both in its kind of eldership as well as its ability to fund itself. But that's always really connected just on a relational level, on a gospel partnership level, on mission opportunity levels. So um, there's a clear plan here for there eventually, you know, for us to sort of be on our own if that's a good way to say it, um, but also just with some deep connections. I mean, like I was saying earlier, these are some of my best friends in the world. So I'm always going to be in partnership, um, but there will be some, some uh, distinction there as well. So Brooks, um, I'm, I'm doing Brooks and Busby. Is that helpful for you? It's helpful for me. <laughs> um, so we, we've kind of touched on resources and everything uh, and uh, just how, what it takes to, to do something like this. Uh, how, how are we able to do this kind of a work uh, with resources? That's a great question. Uh, it is mostly going to come just from the giving of our congregation. We are, uh, uh, Mountain Brook Community Church is going to help us out some the Sojourn Network is going to help us out some, but when you look at the grand scheme of things, that's a very small amount compared to what our church is going to have to invest in this. So it has to be something that we have a missional calling to, um, both in whatever people we decide to to send and also with the financial gifting towards that. So it's, it's, a big it's, it's, it's you know, make no mistake, it's a sacrifice um, for us. And once again, 
it's worth the risk. I mean, it's, it's absolutely, it's worth the risk. Uh, so for a person that's hearing kind of these things tonight, maybe the announcements ever since May, who maybe is, is prayerfully considering if, if this is something that they are supposed to be a part of, what would be the first step for them? Buzz. You could email me, okay? Um, e- really email either Joel or I. I think, I think it'd be really helpful if, if you've been at Redeemer a long time and you're really invested in this community. I think it'd be helpful for you to kind of process some of this together with, with Joel Brooks. Um, you could also email me and I'll put you on an email list that gives you some updates as to what we think will be kind of coming in the fall. Um, but joel.busby at rccbirmingham.org or joel at rccbirmingham. So. He was here first. So. He was here first. The first Joel. And really, just the, uh, if the Lord is calling you to be part of a pioneering work, we, we still have pioneering work to do here, for sure. I mean, we, like we said, we have a budding youth ministry, all four of our youth, that, that will be exploding, though. Uh, there is a lot of pioneering work here to do, but if, if you feel like God has called you maybe towards a particular community and to be part of that pioneering effort, then I would listen very carefully to that call. Things I would not do is if I just want to be part of a smaller church. Well, you know what? Probably two, three years from now, that might be an issue <laughs> because I would imagine this church is going to grow fairly rapidly. So that's not a, that's not a reason to leave or, um, or Busby's not going to want anybody who's just disgruntled with a church and they just like, well, I'm disgruntled with this church, so I want to head out. That's not who you start a church with. Uh, we're really, you, you want people who capture the vision for this and they feel a, a strong calling towards it. And, and we've been talking a lot about the size and really that's in the Lord's hand. Um, we have the time um, and we have the, the, not the luxury in a sense, but since we are funding this for, for a few years, that we, we can be really intentional. Um, and so we don't want to lose a lot of the benefits of a plant by overpopulating it. But we also don't want to have too little. And it's just this fine little balance of, of what we want to send, who do we want to send, so this church can really develop its own unique identity instead of simply being a transplant of people um, over there. I'd like to give a, yeah, a couple of moments for questions out here. The question is, does a church plant help growth, like help manage growth? Um, one of the things I do in the Sojourn Network is I go around and talk to other churches about church planting. And one thing you will see is churches that plant churches grow faster. They don't slow in their growth. Uh, churches that circle their wagons and be like, we really need to just focus on us and nobody else bleed out because you, it just becomes a stagnant church that um, becomes more of an institution than part of a mission. Um, and so I don't know if, uh, if this will not grow, that growth is a problem. I don't know. If, I'm sure it might have a lot of people go. We might have some people stay, but it's two separate issues. Obviously, at the beginning, there's going to be like a lot of support and financially and uh, relationships 
unique, but Rosie, you mentioned like you would love to see a deep connection between the two churches. Once the church is independent, um, what can you maybe flesh that out a little? Like what would it be joint mission trips or joint talkbacks? Like what in your dream relationship between Redeemer and this new thing? What would that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's a lot about that that I'm not sure how it will play out. And I'll just tell you that. But, you know, you ask, what's my dream of that? Um, You know, honestly, I think a lot of the connection will really be felt more on a leadership level, honestly. I mean, so for example, um, I think Brooks and I's relationship, he and I will feel a lot of connection. Like, I'm going to want Joel really involved for a lot of reasons that maybe the two congregations, it'll kind of be lost on them. Does that make sense? But I anticipate things like, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'll just, can I just say something honestly? I've never done this before. Uh-oh. Um, ever. <laughs> so, so there's, there's a lot of things that I, I want to learn, you know? Um, so I will email him all the time or call him all the time asking for help. You know, when I start thinking of discipleship and teaching ideas for um, home groups and Bible studies, literally, if I had no connection to Redeemer, the first person I would call is Jeff Heine. He, he knows more about that stuff than anybody else I know. You know, when I'm thinking of systems and like, and like, and like Excel spreadsheets, Joshua P. Housen, like, like, in other words, I'm going to lean a lot on sort of these friends of mine who I think are gifted and called guys, okay? And then there's other things, like, I, I, don't, I can't preach every Sunday, so I'm going to want some, you know, relief on that level, and I expect these guys to fill those things. Does that make sense? But then I think bigger things, I mean, we, we dream about things, like, imagine a nine lessons and carols that, that is a citywide thing. You know, imagine a, a joint um, effort to send a crew of people to Haiti. So there's a lot of those sorts of things. Um, you know, Dwight has done such really good work on like the, the mission level that I'm actually hoping, I don't know if Dwight's in the room, there he is. I'm hoping to ride his coattails, you know? So there's just a lot of good work that I'm hoping to just get to take advantage of, quite frankly, because I'm gonna need the help, right? But I think there's lots of dreams. I mean, you know, there's talks of, of other ways that, that Redeemer is gonna be partnering in, in the area of church planning, both with Sojourn and even locally. So I, I see one day like a church planner training that happens for all, you know, among all the family of churches. So I just think there's lots of things like that, but I really think it's gonna start on kind of a leadership level connection. Brandon. Uh, you're referred to as the planting pastor. So does that mean that you will continue to be planting pastor even for uh, this church or is planting pastor a position at Redeemer? So Busby will be the lead pastor of the new congregation there. Um, And our hope is that we can continue to have planting pastors in the future. Now, financially, that's going to be hard until we have this congregation to a good financial point and our congregation a good financial point because the finances, once you plant, will waver drastically depending on maybe who goes um, or it, you just have to let that kind of level out a bit. But we hope that this is our first plant and that we could keep having planting pastors. Um, but we don't know what's going to be the timetable for that. Uh, how has your vision for church planting shifted you know, over the years? That, that is a good question. It's shifted in just about every possible way. Um, 
One of the things that's been interesting is we joined the Sojourn Network because we knew we needed help church planting. And they're a church planting network. I mean, it's what they do. And so as we're going through this whole process and we're getting to know one another and we become part of the Sojourn Network, one of the first things that they did as a network is they identified me as the head of their church planting, which I thought that is just comical. Um, we go to you for help and then you just turn around and like, and now they're, you know, what they call strategists. I go around and I meet with different churches talking to them about how do you start churches like Redeemer? And I'm like, you realize I did this once, <laughs> you know, uh, some of the things I've learned is uh, it's like birth, what I've heard. So what does it mean for me? <laughs> yes. Uh, it is a painful, necessary process for there to be new life and there to continue to be new life. But Busby and I are fully aware it's going to be painful for, um, for our congregation. It's going to stretch us at times as we're sharing a budget over the next few years. Um, and, you know, Busby is like, hey, we really want a children's minister. I'm like, hey, we did without, you know, a hired professional, like, full-time staff for eight years. And we're like, let's get on our knees and let's pray about this together as two congregations where we can give our resources. So it's, it's, it's going to be a stretching, sanctifying process for both of us. We're going into it with eyes wide open, though, and so are our elders. Uh, some things I've learned is that uh, I thought at first church planting solved growth. Like if you became a church planting church, you would always remain a small church. And then I just saw actually that is the exact opposite in all the churches that we looked at. Um, that church planting churches keep planting because there's something alive where they're at. Um, and that's just how the Lord uses that church and makes disciples. Um, I think one of the things that Busby's talked about a little bit is, um, I'm wondering if I could say this, that multi-site models don't work. I'll just be blunt about that for the long term. So we're committed to kind of a quasi-multi-site for two to three years and then autonomy. But the what you want multi-site for is that you keep a forever relationship. You're like, oh, this will just forever lock us together. Like, but then the not giving another congregation autonomy, like not allowing the spirit to do the unique work that he desires to do there becomes a very stifling thing for that congregation. And you also get a very personality-driven church that all stems from the pastor of that mother-sending church, you know, the, the mother church that's just birthing all these others. So one of my things I'm doing in the Sojourn Network is I'm trying to talk to all other churches about getting out of the multi-site model in creating something similar to this. I could go on and on about what I've learned a lot, a lot. So we're going to need to put a pin in the questions. Joel and joel.busby at rccbirmingham.org. Uh, and also just uh, after we're done here, I mean, feel free to, to ask them and, then, um, and also elders, I mean, uh, to, to ask them some of your questions too. Definitely want to keep the communication going. But uh, I've got one more question, and that is how can we be praying for you? Uh, how can we be praying for this plant, this new congregation? Um, uh, we're going to take some time in, in a few moments to circle up and to be praying um, and to give us some direction to that. This coming Sunday, and then after that, every other Sunday, after this coming Sunday, uh, we will be gathering for prayer at 3.30. 
uh, concerning the, the church plant. And so if you want to join in on that on Sundays at 3.30 before the afternoon service, going to meet here kind of in the conference room area. But, uh, but for tonight, well, how, how can we be praying? Absolutely. Um, so there's three distinct areas that right now I'm asking for people to pray about. Um, there's probably a thousand, but there's three that I'm going to share. So, so the first thing is just for that early crew of leaders. Um, you know, so I, I don't want this to be like, like I need help, right? And so for that early crew of leaders that really form that DNA of this new congregation, you know, when Joel Brooks looks back at who those early folks were, I mean, they've become just essential to the life of this church. And, and so I'm beginning to pray that the Lord would gather that early group of leaders that can really be um, sort of that foundation and that, that help for, for me. So, so leadership. Um, a second thing is I'll just, I'll just use the phrase or the, the word place. Um, I, I really would love to see the Lord show us what it means to be in that particular area. I mentioned earlier, it's kind of at the crossroads of a lot of different sorts of communities. So I'm just really beginning to pray for wisdom about what outreach looks like to say internationals in that area, what it would look like to have, you know, in that area, there's, there's kind of young and old, there's, there's rich and there's poor. Um, there's, there's, it's just a very interesting area. So we want, you know, when I go to the Publix on Green Springs, that's my Publix, okay? You go in Publix and you just see the diversity of people that live in that area. And we want this congregation to somehow reflect the place. So please pray for us in that. And then a third thing is just the, the word I would use is Busby's. And that's my family. Um, my wife, Mandy, is right here on the second row. Mandy, do you want to wave? So, <laughs> um, anyway. so um, Mandy, and, and I have a little boy, Henry, who's four. I have a little boy, Leland, who will be two later in the month. And, you know, when you really start thinking about church planning and, and church planters, you, un, you start to see that when you just kind of observe kind of around, it's kind of a, a dangerous calling. Um, it's a spiritual minefield in a lot of ways. Like the amount of pastors and young church planners that have moral failures that, that have to be removed because of patterns of pride and, and manipulation and things like that. I mean, it's, it's, pretty, um, it's pretty sobering. Um, I have a dear, dear friend of mine who, who is, a, is a pastor in the PCA out in the Midwest and, and one of the jobs that he has is he, he's, he kind of looks after some of the young church planners in his denomination. And, and he just tells me, Busby, you would not even believe how many we are having to sort of remove on a monthly basis. And, and I just will be vulnerable with you to tell you that I've just felt a lot of those sorts of uh, the pressures of that. I mean, Brooks and I were talking, I think yesterday or the day before, it, it kind of, there's just temptations that surface that you wouldn't have known to be tempted by. Like the idea of showing favoritism to a certain kind of person. I, I feel that. Um, the, the temptation to uh, try to manipulate situations to kind of, it's just, it's just a real thing. The, the pride and the insecurity, it, it kind of surfaces in you. I mean, I, I'm a man, the same as any of the men in this room, whose life needs to be rooted deeply in kind of my identity in Christ. And so I, I want to pray for you. I want to ask you guys to pray for us as a family, for my boys, um, for Mandy, and just for our family. It's, it's hard work. Um, and it takes a kind of energy, a kind of maniacal energy to get things going. But it also takes a constant letting go of control at every front and at every opportunity. And, and those are just hard things, man. And, and I don't, I just would seek your prayer for our family. Um, would you want to add any of that, big? Good. Okay. All right. So leadership place. 
and the Busbys. Um, I would like to say a couple of things. And because uh, I <laughs> have the privilege of talking to all of our like, Re Redeemer family right now, uh, I, it probably goes without saying, but um, pray. In this time, like, pray. Really seek the Lord in these, in these matters. Um, take time to, to be quiet. Take time to, to be before the Lord and to voice these things in these small groups throughout the room. Um, and, uh, and then we'll close in prayer in, in, and kind of wrap up the time. So if, if your group is done, just continue praying uh, until we wrap up together, okay? So let's circle up and pray. Lord God, it seems as though whenever the good news of Jesus, whenever that gospel spreads in a city, in a place, in our world that are accompanied by great tribulation and great uh, hostility. But Lord, we know that in such times, you are all the comfort that we need. Lord, we think upon what you said to Paul when he was in Corinth facing much opposition, but also seeing the gospel bearing much fruit. He said to him, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. God, we pray, pray for Redeemer and also this church plant that you would protect us, that you would protect our leaders, that you would guard us in the power of your spirit to go forth with this gospel that turns the world upside down. God, we pray that for Avondale, for West Homewood, for indeed this entire city and far beyond. We pray for our leaders that you would drive your gospel deep in them, their love for you, Heavenly Father, above all else. We're grateful, God, that you have promised that you will be with us no matter what. And we pray, God, for those who will be reached by this church plant and many other church plants in years to come. You have many people in this city, and we rejoice, God, that we get to be a part of seeing that harvest of souls in this place and beyond. Lord, do it in our midst for your glory alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.